Joel's talk with Santa Claus of Christmas Tales and Christmas First. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Christmas Tales and Christmas First by Eugene Field. Joel's talk with Santa Claus. One Christmas Eve, Joel Baker was in a most unhappy mood. He was lonesome and miserable. The chimes making merry Christmas music outside disturbed rather than showed him. The jingle of the sleigh bells fret him, and the shrill whistling of the wind around the corners of the house and up and down the chimney seemed to grate harshly on his ears. <sighs> Christmas is nothing to me. There was a time when it meant a great deal, but that was long ago. Fifty years is a long stretch to look back over. There is nothing in Christmas now. Nothing for me at least. It is so long since Santa Claus remembered me that I venture to say he has forgotten that there ever was such a person as Joel Baker in all the world. It used to be different. Santa Claus used to think a great deal of me when I was a boy. <sighs> Christmas nowadays and what it was in the good old time. Nah, not what it used to be. As Joel was absorbed in his distressing thoughts, he became aware very suddenly that somebody was entering or trying to enter the room. First came a draught of cold air, then a scraping, grating sound, then a strange shuffling, and then, yes, then all at once, Joel saw a pair of fat legs and a still fatter body dangle down the chimney, followed presently by a long white beard above which appeared a jolly red nose and two bright twinkling eyes, while over the head and forehead was drawn a fur cap, white with snowflakes. Ho, ho! chuckled the fat jolly stranger, emerging from the chimney and standing well to one side of the hearthstone. Ho, ho! They don't have the big white chimney they used to build. But they can't keep Santa Claus out. No, they cannot keep Santa Claus out. Ho, ho, ho. Though the chimney were no bigger than the gas pipe, Santa Claus would slide down it. It didn't require a second glance to assure Joel that the newcomer was indeed Santa Claus. Joel knew the good old saint. And yes, he had seen him once before. And although that was when Joel was a little boy, he had never forgotten how Santa Claus looked. Nor had Santa Claus forgotten Joel, although Joel thought he had. For now Santa Claus looked kindly at Joel and smiled and said, Merry Christmas to you, Joel. Thank you, old Santa Claus, replied Joel. But I don't believe it's going to be a very merry Christmas, 
It's been so long since I've had a Merry Christmas that I don't believe I know how to act if I had one. Let's see, said Santa Claus. It must be going on 50 years since I saw you last. Yes, you were 8 years old the last time I slipped down the chimney of the old homestead and filled your stocking. Do you remember it? I remember it well, answered Joel. I had made up my mind to lie awake and see Santa Claus. I had heard tell of you but I never seen you. And brother Otis and I concluded we'd lie awake and watch for you to come. Santa Claus shook his head reproachfully. That was very wrong, said he. For I'm so scared that if I know you boys were awake, I never have come down the chimney at all. And then you'd have had no presents. But Otis couldn't keep awake, explained Joel. We talked about everything we could think of until father called out to us that if we didn't stop talking, he'd have to send one of us up into the attic to sleep with the hired man. So in less than five minutes, Otis was sound asleep and no pinching could wake him up. But I was bound to see Santa Claus and I don't believe anything would have put me to sleep. I heard the big clock in the sitting room strike 11 and I had begun wondering if you never were going to come. When all of a sudden, I heard the tinkle of the bells around your reindeer's necks. Then I heard the reindeers prancing on the roof and the sound of your sled runners cutting through the cross and slipping over the singles. I was kind of scared and I covered my head up with a sheet and quilt. Only I left a little hole so I could peek out and see what was going on. As soon as I saw you, I got over being scared. For you were jolly and smiling like... And you chuckled as you went around to each stocking and filled it up. Yeah, I can remember the night, said Santa Claus. I brought you a sled, didn't I? Yes, and you brought Otis one too, replied Joel. Mine was red and had Yankee Doodle painted in black letters on the side. Uh, Otis was black and had Snow Queen in gilt letters. I remember those sled distinctly, said Santa Claus, for I made them specially for you boys. You set the sleds up against the wall, continued Joel, and then you filled the stockings. There were six of them, as I recollect, said Santa Claus. Let me see. There was mine, and Otis, and Elvira's, and thankfuls, and Susan Prickett's. Susan was our help, you know? No, there were only five, and as I remember, they were the biggest that we could beg or borrow of on Dorcas, who weighed right onto 200 pounds. Otis and I didn't like Susan Prickett, and we were hoping to put a cold potato in her stocking. But Susan was a good girl, remonstrated Santa Claus. 
You know I put cold potatoes only in the stockings of boys and girls who are bad and don't believe in Santa Claus. At any rate, said Joel. You filled all the stockings with candy and popcorn and nuts and raisins, and I can remember you said you were afraid you ran out of popcorn balls before you got around. Then you left each of us a book. Elvira got the best one, which was The Garland of Friendship, and had poems in it about the bleeding of hearts, and so forth. Father wasn't expecting anything, but you left him a new pair of mittens, and mother got a new fur boa to wear to meeting. Of course, said Santa Claus. I never forgot father and mother. Well, it was as much as I could do to lie still, continued Joel, for I'd been longing for a sled, and the sight of that red sled with Yankee Doodle painted on it just made me wild. But somehow or other, I began to get powerful sleepy all at once, and I couldn't keep my eyes open. The next things I knew, Otis was nudging me in the ribs. Get up, Joel, says he. It's Christmas and Santa Claus has been here. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. We cried as we tumbled out of bed. Then Elvira and Thankful came in, not more than half-dressed, and Susan came in too, and we just made rum hole with Merry Christmas to each other. If you children don't make less noise in there, cried father i'll have to send you all back to bed the idea of asking boys and girls to keep quiet on christmas morning when they've got new sleds and garland of friendship santa claus chuckled his rosy cheeks fairly beamed joy otis and i didn't want any breakfast said joel we made up our minds that a stocking full of candy and popcorn and raisins would stay us for a while. I do believe there wasn't buckwheat cakes enough in the township to keep us indoors that morning. Buckwheat cakes don't size up much alongside of a red sled with Yankee Doodle painted onto it and a black sled named Snow Queen. We didn't care how cold it was, so much the better for sliding downhill. All the boys had new sleds. Leif Dawson, Bill Holbrook, Gum Adams, Rob Playford, Linda Merrick, Ezra Purple. All of them had new sleds except Martin Pavey. He said he calculated Santa Claus had skipped him this year cause his father had broke his leg calling logs from the Pelham woods and had been kept indoors six weeks. But Martin had his old sled and he didn't have to ask any odds of any of us neither. I brought Martin a sled next Christmas, said Santa Claus. Like as not, but did you ever slide downhill, Santa Claus? I don't mean such hill as they have out here in this new country, but one of them old-fashioned New England hills that was made specially for boys to slide down. Full of bumpers and tanky arms and about ten times longer coming up than it is going down. The wind blew in our face and almost took our breath away. Merry Christmas to you little boys. It seemed to say and it untied our mufflers and whirled the snow in our faces. Just as if it was a boy too and wanted to play with us. And an old crow came flapping over us from the cornfield beyond the meadow. He said 
go, go. When he saw my newsletter, I suppose he never seen a red one before. Otis had a hard time with his sled, the black one, and he wondered why it wouldn't go as fast as mine would. Have you scrapped the paint off the runners? All swarsely good now. Cause I have, said Otis. Broke my own knife and loot Ingraham a doing it, but it don't seem to make no difference. The darn old thing won't go. Then what did Simon Bozzle say but that, likes not, it was because Otis' sled's name was No Queen. Never did see a girl's sled that was worth a cent anyway, says Simon. Well, not that just about broke Otis up in business. It ain't a girl's sled, says he. And its name ain't Snow Queen. I'm a going to call it Daniel Webster or Oliver Optic or Seraph Robbins or after some other big man. And the boys plague him so much about that pesky girl slat that he scratched off the name. And as I remember, it did go better after that. About the only thing, continued Joel, that marred the harmony of the occasion, as the editor of Hampshire County Phoenix used to say, was the ashes that Deacon Morris Frisbee sprang out in front of his house. He said he wasn't going to have folks breaking their necks, just on account of a lot of frivolous boys that was going to gallows as fast as they could. Oh, how we hated him, and we have snowballed him too, if we hadn't been afraid of the constable that lived next door. But the ashes didn't bother us much, and every time we slid side saddle, we'd give the ashes a kick, and that sort of scared them. The bare thought of this made Santa Claus laugh. Going on about nine o'clock, said Joel. The girls come along. Sister Elvira and thankful Prudence Tucker, Bill Yocum, Sophron Holbrook, Sis Hubbard, and Marty Sawyer. Marty's brother increased wanted her to ride on his sled, but Marthy allowed that a red sled was her choice every time. I don't see how I'm going to hold on, said Marthy. Seems as if I would have my hands full keeping my things from blowing away. Don't worry about yourself, Marthy, says I. For if you'll look after your things, I kinda calculate I'll manage not to lose you on the way. Dear Marthy, seems as if I could see you now, with your tangled hair blowing in the wind, your eyes all bright and sparkling, and your cheeks as red as apples. Seems too as if I could hear you laughing and calling just as you did as I told up the old New England hill that Christmas morning, a calling Joel, 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 and she ever coming, Joel. But the hill is long and steep, Marthy. And Joel ain't the boy he used to be. He's old and gray and feeble. But there's love and faith in his heart. And they kind of keep him tottering toward the voice he hears a calling, Joel, Joel, Joel. I know. I see it all. Murmured Santa Claus very softly. Oh, that was so long ago, sighed Joel. So very long ago, and I've had no Christmas since, only once, 
when our little one, Marty's and mine, you remember him, Santa Claus? Yes. A toddling little boy with blue eyes. Like his mother, interrupted Joel. And he was like her too. So gentle and loving. Only we called him Joel. For that was my father's name. And it kind of ran in the family. He was more three years old when you came with your Christmas present for him, Santa Claus. We had told him about you. And he used to go to the chimney every night and make a little prayer about what he wanted you to bring him. And you brought them. A stick horse and a picture book and some blocks and a drum. They're on the shelf in the closet there and his little Christmas stocking with them. I've saved them all and I've taken them down and held them in my hands so many times. But when I came again, said Santa Claus. His little bed was empty and I was alone. It killed his mother. Marthy was so tender-hearted, she kind of dropped in pine after that. So now they've been sleep side by side in the burying ground these 30 years. That's why I'm so sad, like, whenever Christmas comes, said Joel after a pause. The thinking of long ago makes me bitter almost. It's so different now from what it used to be. No, Joel, oh, no. This is the same world. And human nature is the same and always will be. But Christmas is for the little folks. And you, who are old and grizzled now, must know it and love it only through the gladness it brings the little ones. True. But how may I know and feel this gladness when I have no little stocking hanging in my chimney corner? No child to please me with his prattle? See? I am alone. No, you are not alone, Joel, said Santa Claus. There are children in this great city who would love and bless you for your goodness if you but touch their hearts. Make them happy, Joel. Send by me this night some gift to the little boy in the old house yonder. He is poor and sick. A simple toy will fill his Christmas with gladness. His little sister too. Take her some present, said Joel. Make them happy for me, Santa Claus. You're right. Make them happy for me. How sweetly Joel slept. When he awoke, the sunlight streamed in through the window and seemed to bid him a Merry Christmas. How contented and happy Joel felt. It must have been the talk with Santa Claus that did it all. He had never known the sweeter sense of peace. A little girl came out of the house over the way. She had a new doll in her arms and she sang a merry little song and she laughed with joy as she skipped along the street. I. And at the window sat the little sick boy. And the toy Santa Claus left him seemed to have brought him strength and health. For his eyes sparkled and his cheeks glowed. And it was plain to see his heart was full of happiness. And oh, how the chimes did ring out. And how joyfully they sang their Christmas carol that morning. They sang of Bethlehem 
and the manger and the babe. They sang of love and charity, till all the Christmas air seemed full of angel voices. Carol of the Christmas morning, carol of the Christ child born, carol to the listening sky, till it echoes back again. Glory be to God on high, peace on earth, God will toward men. So all this music, the carol of the chimes, the sound of children's voices, the smile of the poor little boy over the way, all this sweet music crept into Joel's heart that Christmas morning. Yes, and with this sweet holy influence came others so subtle and divine that in its silent communion with them, Joel's heart cried out Amen and Amen to the glory of the Christmas time. End of the Joel's Talk with Santa Claus